Uh, I need two volunteers, and I'm going to make sure I'm in the right spot. Uh, if the backlights are going to keep flickering, we can turn them off, too. Uh, no problem, but if it is. I don't want anybody having a seizure. Um, volunteers, come on, Perla. Yeah. Boom, we got one. And yes, Carolyn, we can use you. Come on. How amazing is this? Um, all right. Um, I would just like one of you to stand on this side of me and one to stand over here. Okay. So, um, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Okay. This is a very anonymous. No, this is anonymous, and you'll never be told what I'm gonna, what you voted. Okay. But without them looking, I just want if you would like to vote for Perla for Miss Beat Universe today, raise your hand. Just do it. Nobody see. Okay, I see that. Put your hands down. If you would like to vote, there's no in-between. No. There's no in-between. It's one or the other. This is cold, hard reality. There's winners and losers. There's no participation. Uh, if you'd like to vote for Carolyn, go ahead and raise your hand. Okay, you see that as well? All right. Uh, hands down. If you ladies could open your eyes now. Okay, I would like to announce that Miss Beat Universe today is Carolyn. <laughs> Celebrate, how exciting that is. Oh wait, I miscounted. I'm sorry, it was actually Perla. Congratulations Perla. How fantastic and wonderful is that? Um, you can sit down, you didn't win, uh, but hey, woo! Okay, all right, stop. Is that awkward? Yeah. Would that be horrible? Yeah. Did anybody know, ever watched it on TV this last year, that that actually really happened? Yeah. With the whole Miss Universe thing? Did people yeah. see that? So on TV, but just even live and in person, doesn't that just feel like, oh my gosh, we know it's not even real. This isn't the real award. There's no prizes. There's nothing fantastic. And yet when she won and she lost, everybody's like, oh, why do we have to do this? And then when I take it away from her, everybody's like, but she won. We love her. <laughs> Can't you just feel the suffering? No. And feel some of the pain? Not Perla's like, I don't care. I just want to keep the crown. <laughs> okay. This actually, though, you still can't keep because it's actually not even mine. <laughs> this is Eliana's. It's got to go back. But thank you. And thank you, Carolyn, for being my... Guinea pig. Guinea pig. Amen. <laughs> Again, the guinea pig. Look, it's, it's a terrible thing when somebody is given something... And then it's taken away, or when somebody's crowned something and it turns out that they weren't really the queen or the king of that, when there's like a miscommunication, when something goes wrong, there's an expectation, and then the expectation isn't met, there's this like feeling of like loss, or of like something bad just happened, and everything's out of alignment, something's wrong. There could be anger, there could be uh, just sadness, there could be depression, there could be... Uh, all kinds of feelings that just come up. And we go through these types of emotions. And I'm going to talk to you today about Jesus coming. And that really there was a lot of that going on in people's hearts when he came. Because we think in hindsight at who Jesus was and what it was about. We're like, oh, this is awesome. But in his day, in his time, there was a lot of people expecting one thing, a king, a savior to come. And then when he shows up, they're excited 
to put the crown on. Oh, this is our king and savior. And then when they find out what he actually is about and who he is, they're like, ah, could we maybe get that back? We want to maybe put that on somebody else because that's not really what we wanted. And there's this back and forth that really goes on throughout the life of Jesus in the gospel. And I want to talk about why that was, because Christmas is coming up. And to ask you, are you really willing to and prepared to accept Jesus for who he actually is and who he was, not just who you want him to be or who you hope he would be? Because that's the question that they had to answer. So we're going to start out in Matthew chapter 1, which is the beginning of this Jesus story. Verse 18 and 19, it says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So this is a a virgin pregnancy. She's not had sex with a man. She's just become pregnant. Why? Because God created us out of nothing. He can certainly bring somebody uh, into a place of being pregnant out of nothing. And so he does this. And it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, just a good man. He wants to do things right. He didn't want to divorce or expose her to public disgrace. So he's like, I'm caught here. I want to do the right thing, which is I shouldn't be with her because she's apparently had an affair or something because he doesn't understand. And he's like, but I also love her and I'm not a cruel person, so I don't want her to get into, you know, trouble. So he decides he's going to divorce her quietly and just kind of like move away from her quietly. Like, hey, I'm going to go on a trip, but never come back. I'll see you. Right? To do that type of thing. Well, Matthew, then we go into the next two verses. It says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be stressed out about this. Don't be anxious. Does anybody get afraid or worried when you're going through something you don't understand? Right? It kind of happens to all of us. Why? Because we're all control freaks. We're all like, that person's a control freak. I want to change them. <laughs> okay, Sure. If you don't get that, that's because you're too deep into your own control. Uh, But so he says this, and he says, as your wife, uh, Mary, take her home as your wife, because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So God's, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people. Awesome. That's what we need. We need a Savior. Who in here needs a Savior? Who got a Savior, needed a Savior, and you're glad you had a Savior? Yes, save us. Our world right now, everybody's looking for a savior. Everybody wants to be saved from something. They want to be saved from the schools. They want to be saved from culture. They want to be saved from politicians. They want to be saved from everything, from racism and sexism. And, and I, I mean, you name it, everybody wants to be saved from somebody because everybody has a reason that they're oppressed, divided, or sectioned off and being harmed. Everybody does now. We all have one. We all have like micro-oppressions. Like, there's a miniature oppression somewhere that's oppressing me, which is the worst kind, because if you've ever been, like, pushed on, that hurts. But if you ever had somebody poke you with something tiny and sharp, that hurts really bad. So micro-oppressions are the worst. But you, you bother me. Well, how? If you knew, you would, it's so deep. But we all have a reason to get hurt and offended. And so we all want to be saved. But the rest of the verse is where this crown gets moved over from our expectation of wanting a savior, because it says, he will save his people from their sins. He will save them from their sins. So they're announcing that savior's coming 
you oppressed people that are being harmed and hurt by everything and everyone else. He's coming to save you. And they're like, yes. And he's like, from yourself. That's the announcement. That's actually literally the announcement. He's coming to save you. And they're talking to people that are actually in literal oppression. They're being oppressed economically. They're being oppressed by racism. They're being oppressed by their government. They're being oppressed in every way. The Romans have taken over. They, they have no say in things. They're being oppressed. They're being oppressed by their religious leaders. Their religious leaders are taking advantage of them, hurting them, abusing them. They all have been harmed by their uh, supposed pastors. They've been hurt by the church. I mean, they're being hurt by everybody. And so the angel announces, you're going to be saved. And they're like, yes, from yourselves. No. Is he serious? Like, is this what we've been waiting for? For him to come and save us from ourselves? Is this what's going on? Well, this is what happened. And so it goes on. Uh, we're going to talk about this. This word save, the actual word is sozo, and it means properly to deliver out of danger and into safety. Oh, I need to be delivered out of danger. I need to be put into safety. And so but it says it's used principally of God rescuing believers from both the penalty and the power of their sin. So he's pulling us out of harm's way, pulling us out of danger, pulling us away from oppression, but it's not oppression from outward, it's oppression from inward. It's not a danger that's outward, it's a danger that's inward. And he's saying, you know what, there's stuff going on inside of you that even if I calmed all of your circumstances, even if I made the world perfect around you, you're still in trouble. Has anybody ever wished that something in your life would change and then it changes and then you still sit there and you feel the same way? Like, if I could just have a little bit more money, I wouldn't feel so anxious about money. And then you have money, and then you're anxious because you don't know what to do with your money. Right? So I wish I had that problem. You, know, you might have that problem someday. And then you feel that. Or, ah, oh, I'm single, and I wish I was in a relationship. I wish I could get married. I wish I could find somebody. And then you find somebody, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I was single. <laughs> what happened? How did I get into this? And we go through these things, and it's back and forth, and it's forth. And, and we're like, it's in here that it's happening. It's not out there. That's why I was talking with somebody yesterday. And they went and they visited these different countries and all these third world countries they'd been to. And one of them that they were in, the, there's actually a river, a huge, not a stream, a huge river filled with garbage. And there's these crazy, weird creatures that live under the garbage. Like, it's covered with garbage. It floats. And it's filled with weird creatures. There's giant catfish in there that are so big that literally when people are swimming, these giant freakish catfish will swim underneath, reach up, grab people, and suck them under and eat them like a lion catfish. They're on the prowl. They'll get you. Like a crazy place. But went and visited and came back weeping because he said all these kids over there are just living life and loving it. They're swimming in the water, even though some of them don't come home. <laughs> They're, like, enjoying life. They're having fun. And the parents and people are enjoying life. And he's like, I'm around people here, and they don't even enjoy life. And they have all these things at their disposal. Why? Because it's not an outward oppression that determines this inward fruitfulness and joy. It's something going on inside. So he's coming, and he's saying, not that I'm going to ignore you, but I'm actually going to come and save you from something that's internal, and I'm going to help you. And he says that he's going to save them from the penalty and the power of their sin 
and into. So when you get saved out of something, right, by default, you're getting saved into something else, right? Because if I take you out of the water, right, and bring you into the shore, okay, you're, you're going one place or the other. And so they're being saved into something. Well, into what? Well, into God's provision, into his empowerment, in his ability to live differently. That's a spiritual thing that's happening because of missing the mark. There are certain things that we are supposed to have, but we missed the mark, and so we lost them. I'm supposed to have this, and then I didn't do my responsibilities, and they got taken away, right? So if you've had kids or if you've been a kid, which we all have at least been a kid, right, you've lost something that wasn't fair. I had so many things happen to me when I was a kid and taken away and punished, and not one time was it ever fair, ever. It was never my fault. It was never, ever fair. But I had all these things taken, but you missed the mark. It's the brand of sin. Now, check this out. This is, I think, the important part. That emphasizes its self-originated the sin emphasizes itself, originated, self-empowered. What does our culture love more than anything else? Self-empowerment. Self, our entire culture runs on self-empowerment. Everything is about self-empowerment. It's number one selling books. It's in all the movies. It's in every cartoon. It's self-empowerment. But sin actually, biblically, talks about Missing the mark because of a self-empowered nature. It's not originated or empowered by God. It's not a faith or his inward persuasion. It's when I'm saying, I can do this. I can figure out my way. I can make it. I can, and all these things, and I'm self-empowered. I can do it. Pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can make it. I can do it. All these things, and yet it misses the mark because we were never designed to be self-empowered. How do we come into being? How do the first humans come into being? God forms them, he makes them, then he does what? Walks away and leaves them. They're formed, they're made, they're just walks away and leaves them and says, you know what? Empower yourself. He didn't do that. The Bible talks about it. He kneels in, he forms and creates, and then what does he do? He breathes into them. He breathes in and he brings man to life. What is that? He breathes his breath and he breathes his power and he empowers. We're meant to be empowered by God from our very design. From what we literally begin as, we're supposed to actually be empowered by him. So to live outside of his empowerment, regardless of what we accomplish or do, we miss the mark automatically because we miss the intention of why we were made. We were made to live in this relationship with God where we're doing things, we're doing things with him and through his empowerment and his ability as a part of who he is. Matthew 4, 17, this is when Jesus first starts his ministry. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying... Now, this is the Savior. He's finally gotten old enough to preach, and he's coming out to preach. He's bringing out his first words. Here they come. The one that's going to save us from oppression, and what are his words? Repent. Um, I think we're in the wrong theater. Uh, what show? I didn't want to watch this one. I thought we bought a different show. No, repent. We're the ones being oppressed. We're the ones being attacked. We're the ones being held down. We're the ones being harmed. Repent. What's he talking about? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is he serious? You want me? The one that's fighting to try to like get my family to survive, trying to move forward, trying to overcome the Romans, trying to do all this. Me? Repent. Okay, let's go find a different speaker. This was the wrong guy. Let's get, let's get the crown back and move it over. Let's put it on somebody else. We find a new savior. 
and we want to find something else. And so this actually is where people got more confused, and we look at this word repent, which is metaneo, and it comes from this. Changed after, this is what it actually means. To repent is to be changed after being with in our thoughts. So the, the, the first part of it, the meta, is to change after being with, and the noia is to think. So what it literally means is for our thinking and the way we perceive and the way we understand to change after being with God. So like that person that went to a third world country, their thinking changed, what, after being with some people that didn't have and could still find joy. And so to repent is Jesus saying, hey, I want you to change the way you think after being with me. Not just change that you had sin, and not just change that you were going to hell, but now you're going to heaven, but I literally want you to change the way you think. Why? Because what we think, we do. Right? When we think about something, we begin to actually act it out and to live it. And he's saying, I want you to think differently. A whole different kingdom's coming into play. A whole different way of living is coming into play. Well, what's a kingdom? Well, let's look at that. The word kingdom means a realm in which a king sovereignly rules. It's not a nation. It's not a democracy. It's not the U.S. of A. It's not Canada. It's not any of those. It is a kingdom. And a kingdom always has a king. It's a requirement. It's what it has. By definition. So a kingdom automatically has somebody in charge. And then everything trickles from them. Like, this is how I want people to do things. This is how I want you to think. This is how I want things to operate. And the rules and everything that run in that kingdom are decided by the king. This is how I want it to be. So what he's saying is, I want you to change the way you think after being with me. Because there's a different way of living. There's a different way of doing things. There's a different way of being that we're going to operate by in my kingdom. We're going to have a different way of doing stuff. Why? Because I set the rules. If you want to come into my kingdom, which is a kingdom that we come into by choice, which is different than world history, because world history, you come into a kingdom by force, right? They come in, they mow out the weak, kill them all, and then they take everybody in, and they say, okay, we're taking charge over you. Now you're run by our kingdom. We're going to retrain you to live how we live. It's conquest and conquering, and, and it's, that's how the whole world's been ran. By man, but God says, I have a kingdom that you're going to be invited into. You come in by choice. But if you come in, you have to change the way you think because it's a different way to live. So see, it's not just about I need forgiveness of my sins and then I want to go to heaven. It's about I want to come into a kingdom and I want you to teach me how to live. It's so much deeper. It's so much more. And so as it goes on, I'm going to repeat that verse, I'm going to, then I'm going to break into what Jesus was talking about. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, change your way of thinking after being with me for the kingdom, a new way of living, a new realm where I have authority of heaven is at hand. So we're going to live the way that heaven would live. We're going to live the way that heaven would design to live. Okay, well, how is that going to work? Well, he follows that up by being extremely detailed in giving direction. And so if you uh, save this passage, I would really encourage you to go and read it yourself and just sit and ponder it and think about it. 
but read Matthew 5 through 7, because this is Jesus taking three chapters to literally lay out in very specific detail what it is like to live in his kingdom and how we should interact on really specific things. He talks about all of these. He talks about blessings. He talks about anger. He talks about lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, our enemies, giving, prayer, fasting, investing, anxiety, judging others, receiving, relationships. I mean, all these things he like lays out. He says, okay, these are all things that we are going to think differently about and live differently about. And he gives practical, real-life instruction on how to do that. So I'm going to go through a few of those just lightly with you guys and challenge you to go read some of them yourself because this is what God's calling us to as believers. And so starting out with the blessing, you know, he gets into that in chapter 5. He talks about it. And he right away, he says, this is a totally different way. Blessed are those who mourn. That makes no sense. That's not how we think in the real world. That's not how this kingdom works. We don't bless those that mourn. We bless those that win, those that celebrate, those that have some good news. But he's saying blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek. No, that's not how it works here. It's blessed are the strong, the forceful, the dominant. He says, no, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness doesn't get you blessing here. Lust and greed and selfishness and all these things get you promoted in this this culture and in this world. Right? But he's saying, no, this is different. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the dividers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed are those who are reviled and persecuted by others. He goes through all these things. So right off the bat, he says, blessing in this new kingdom is different than blessing in what you're used to. He turns the whole thing upside down. That's very challenging Because their entire culture, just like ours, is moving towards getting away from all of these things. I don't want to mourn. I don't want to make peace. The way to get ahead is I got to make war. I've got to beat somebody. I've got to get the advantage. I've got to be over the top. I've got to be stronger than. I can't be weaker than. Well, then he goes on to another topic. And he's talking about being salt and being light. He says, you're the salt of the earth, which is about being different. Salt adds something It doesn't just blend in, but it changes something, the flavor and the taste. And he he talks about that. He talks about being a light that shines and we're different. He goes on to talk about the law. He says that there's a higher law. He's not abolishing it, but he's taking us to a higher level. He gets into anger. Do you know what he compares anger to? How many of you have gotten angry in the last week? Come on, just look at me. Murderers. A church full of killers. It's what Jesus said. It's what, listen, it's what he says. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Can we all agree we should not murder? All right, everybody with their hand down, keep a close eye on those ones. Okay, mark them close. Okay, Anne did not raise her hand. Keep a close eye on her. I said we should not murder, and Anne's like, I'm thinking about it. I haven't decided yet. Okay. Thou shalt not murder. That's a pretty good thing. Let's not do that. But this is what he says. You've heard that that was said, and I'm sure you all agree, because they'll be liable for judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. He says there's a different way of living. I'm not interested in whether or not you murder someone. 
I'm interested in whether or not you're angry at them. Why? As long as you kill them in love, it's all fine. I'm the happy killer. I'm the, I'm the clown, the killer clown that everyone's afraid of. I'll give you a balloon, give you a hug, but you're going to die today. No, he's saying it's not that you have to kill in love, but he's going back to the root of it. Look, unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, these things produce this. And he's like, we've got to get this out of you. So I want to touch you at the very beginning of it is what he's talking about. And so he talks about anger that way. He goes into lust. He says, you know, if you've lusted after someone, you're committing adultery. Well, I'm not committing adultery. I'm just looking. Well, he's saying in your heart, you're taking something in and wanting it and craving it. Now, when you go to be with your spouse, you're looking at them as second best or second rate or not as good or making comparisons. And you're causing them to be forced to live into a standard that they can't fit in. And that breaks the relationship. And the reason that he puts you with that person is for relationship. But you're breaking the relationship now. And you're only bringing part of yourself to the relationship because the other part of yourself is still with the other person that you're with in your mind. And so you're committing adultery. And so Jesus is saying, there's a different way in my kingdom to live. I want you to live where you actually fully connect and come into communion with the person that you're with. Your whole self, not part of yourself somewhere else. So he's talking about literally different ways to live. He talks about divorce and not getting divorced. And he talks about, he does make an exception there. People have been in infidelity. They've been, uh, you know, sexually uh, immoral. He talks about that because that's such an intimate thing to God. It's a bringing of two people together. But back in that day, they could just write a divorce for any reason, which in our day you can as well, just for any reason. But the point of marriage is that you come into marriage and you realize this is really hard. I need out. And then you go to get out and you realize it's really hard to get out. I'm going to lose half of my money and I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. My kids are going to have to Transfer back and forth, and that the idea is there's a barrier there that makes it hard to get away. Why? Because even the law knows that once you're married, you're probably at some point in the next 30 years going to want out. But that's part of two people coming together and realizing that they weren't just Prince Charming and the princess. There was other things going on. We got to work through it. We go through hard times. And so he talks about that. He talks about oaths, not making them. Why? Because your word should just be good enough. When you say yes, people should believe you. It should be, hey, I promise this time, pinky promise. No, I swear. Right? Because, no, if that person said it, it's true. Just live with integrity, he's talking about. So he's literally walking through all these different aspects of life. Like God, this is the God of the universe. Came down to earth, spends 30 years growing up from a baby so that he can get to the point of speaking a message to the world that's been waiting for a savior. And he says, first of all, change the way you're thinking. And here's how you're supposed to be living. This is how you do it. Why? So the kingdom of heaven can come in. Well, what's the kingdom of heaven? Well, the Bible tells us clearly, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, in the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit empowers you to live this way, the righteous way, God's way, all of a sudden there's peace. All of a sudden there's more joy. 
And so he said, I'm trying to get you to that place, but to get there, you've got to not just be delivered or even just be forgiven, but you've got to actually start changing what you do, changing how you think, changing how you live. He goes into retaliation. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And he said, but I tell you, turn your cheek the other way. Somebody slaps you on this one, turn it the other way. If somebody asks you to take something you feel it's unfair, tell them to take it longer. Take, tell them to take more. Hey, that's not fair. You took more than your share. But you know what? Let me give you some more if you need it that bad. But bless you. And you're letting them go. None of that seems fair. None of that seems right. But it's what he's talking about. It's what he says. He says to love your enemies. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But he says, I tell you to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you. It's a completely different way to live. And he goes through all these different topics, and I'm not going to hit every one. I'm going to hit a couple more. But he talks about praying. He says to pray, to pray alone with the Lord, and to pray simply, not with a million words. Why? Because God actually wants to talk to you. He actually wants to talk to you. It's not because he doesn't like big words, but when you're just saying words to say words because you feel like I need to pray, you're missing the point. He wants you to talk to him. Just talk to him about stuff. Be in relationship with him. Man, this was great. I got this job. Or, wow, I'm having a rough day today. Boy, traffic is hard. How do I have patience, Lord? I don't like this. Like, it's just a conversation. You're, you're talking to him. You're in relationship with him. And then he talks about going to him as a father, our father in heaven. How would be your name? And he's just going literally three chapters of explaining how to live. And then he says to forgive. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. That's a heavy verse. Why do I forgive? Because I love people. Well, and I just don't want to not be forgiven myself. That's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. I know that he's not judging me. He talks about fasting. He talks about investing. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven. Do things that make eternal impact. Invest in those types of things. Don't be anxious. I'm going to spend a minute on this one because this is the big one. I'm going to read this. I want you to think about it. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And then he talks about the birds and he talks about the flowers and he talks about all these things that are taking care of themselves. And then he asks a question. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And then he goes on and he says, why are you anxious? He asks again. And he goes down and he says, if God does this for the flowers and if God does this for these other things, why are you doing that? And then he comes to the end of it. He says, therefore, do not be anxious. So he said, don't be anxious. Here's how life works. Why are you still anxious? Here's how life works and God cares about you. And then at the end, he's like, don't be anxious. Like he's literally, it's a long part. And he just keeps restating the same thing and trying to explain. And then finally at the end, he says, just don't do it. Stop. But I can't. In our culture, Anxiety has become more than disobedience. Anxiety has just become a disease, a sickness. But there is an element of it that is a disobedience. Because God says, don't do it. Well, how do I not do it? You don't do it by learning to put your trust in God. The same way that I don't get angry. My natural bent is to get angry, but I learn to put my hope in God and to trust him for judgment. 
So in anxiety, it's the same thing. I have to learn through training my mind and my brain to stop being anxious when those thoughts come in, take every thought captive and say, I'm not going to be surrendered to this. I'm going to move this over and I'm going to put it. Why? Because anxiety always destroys the work of God. Always. God wanted me to be in relationship with people to share his love. Anxiety kept me at home. It kept me in my closet, literally, and kept me away from people. It destroyed the work of God. Anxiety wants me to get along with my spouse, but my finances are struggling, and I'm anxious about money. And so now we're fighting. What does it do? It's destroying my marriage. Anxiety and fear always work against the plan and the purpose of God. And so we have to take some kind of authority over it, some kind of a strength over it, and give it to God. But he goes through all of these steps, and these are the things that he's asking us to do. Romans chapter 7. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? They're saying, oh my gosh, I have these things, but I have a propensity to do them wrong. Who will help me? Who will save me? Who will change me? And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In other words, Jesus came to save us from ourselves. He explained what that looks like. And then Paul, who comes right after him, says, I've tried it and it ain't working. Who can save me from myself? And it goes back again to the same thing that the angel said. Thank God. God for Christ Jesus. God wants to save us from ourselves. Whatever you struggle with, if it's anger, if it's lust, if it's anxiety, if it's whatever, whatever you got going on that you struggle with, judging others, being critical, God wants to save you from it. That is the gift of Christmas that's coming up. That's what the season's about. It's not just about forgiveness of sins. It's about deliverance from whatever you find that destroys your peace and destroys your joy. God wants you to walk in those things because that is his kingdom. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just pray for each person here, Lord, that today, Father, you would highlight the area, God, that they still have. Lord, a bondage within themselves, Lord, and that you would give them a hope, the good news of a Savior, God, that didn't just come to save them from the outside, but came to save them from the inside. And that, Lord, this year, Father, this, this, this Christmas season, God, they would be able to surrender that to you and allow your Spirit to begin to work in them, God, to bring freedom, to bring change, Lord, and to allow them to live in the righteousness. the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.